Think you can outsmart God? Think again. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. God is sovereign, and you and I aren't going to be able to outmaneuver or manipulate God. We're not going to be able, with all of our scheming and all of our plans, we can't outsmart Him. We're not going to be able to outmaneuver, outmanipulate God. The plan and the trick with Ahab didn't work, and Ahab loses his life. And Ahab will always remind us of the wicked king, a wicked king that to his death rebelled all the way to the end. This is amazing grace. It was back in October of last year that we started First Kings, and today on Abounding Grace, we wrap up the series. In recent days, we've been following the rule and reign of King Ahab. His life speaks of what will happen if we refuse to turn to the Lord and what the wages of sin really is. Sadly, his story didn't end well, but that doesn't have to be the case for you. Let's join Pastor Ed Taylor for the rest of his message, Man Can't Outsmart God. Back in 1 Kings, disaster, according to verse 23, is what's happening to Ahab, finally. It's always a sad thing when we find the disasters come upon those that refuse to turn toward the Lord. But it's Ahab had his day, verse 24. Zedekiah, the son of Chenatna, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the Spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into the inner chamber to hide. And the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison. Put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and the water of affliction until I come in peace. And the Micaiah said, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. Verse 29, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. So Ahab does decide to go into battle, but he disguises himself, encouraging Jehoshaphat to wear the royal robes to become a target. It's a great guy to go to battle with. We already know what his true character is. And it's discouraging because here are two kings aligning themselves together, giving each other their word, but one is a liar and a fraud and a deceiver. Now tying back together with the gift of discerning of spirits or the gift of discernment, have you ever been betrayed by someone? Has anyone ever broken your trust before? Someone that you love, someone that you cared with, somebody you went to battle with, somebody that you were side by side with? I thought, I thought of this not just with Ahab to Jehoshaphat, but I thought of how heartbroken Jesus must have been when he was betrayed by Judas, even though he knew what would happen. And Judas sold out. He spent three years with this. He did everything together. Like they, remember, they weren't able to, they, they were, to the very end, the disciples still didn't get it that Judas was the one. They, they didn't understand. He was able to pull this off really well. 
he looked like a disciple, he acted like a disciple, he sounded like a disciple, and, and yet for, for three years he served, he, he, didn't just, he didn't just betray Jesus, although that's his greatest betrayal, he betrayed everyone else. And he betrayed all of that relation, that, that tight-knit, even though they had their ups and downs, it, with the exception of Jesus, they all made mistakes, they all did things that were goofy, and they were at each other's throat at times, and competing, and all of that normal human stuff. But he also, Judas, betrayed the other 11. The guys they went to battle with. They went and saw miracles. He was a part of it. And what did he sell them for? For, a, for silver? Something that's so worthless and lacking value. I looked up the word betray. It literally means to expose to danger by treacherously giving information to an enemy. That's what the word betray means. To expose to danger by treacherously giving information to an enemy. A second definition is betray means to be disloyal to. And it's painful to experience this in the world among those who hate God, but even more so of those who profess to love God and profess to love you. And that's where Ahab is right now. It's all throughout the scriptures, unfortunately. If you have been betrayed, you're not alone. It's an unbearable and difficult thing to endure. The Proverbs say in chapter 10, verse 18, to hide hatred is to be a liar, and to slander is to be a fool. People with hate in their hearts may sound pleasant enough, but don't believe them. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 24. Though they pretend to be kind, their hearts are full of all kinds of evil. And while their hatred may be concealed by trickery, it will finally come to light for all to see. And I would just say this. Not everyone that is saying that they're side by side with you is not side by side. That's why you just need to pray. Because you don't want to be taken advantage of by Ahab. It's going to be, you know, one of the positive things, I guess, you could say with Ahab is it's going to come back on his head. But, I mean, if you're Jehoshaphat, you're like, man, whatever you want to do, let's go take this battle. I'm in it just as much as you are. Well... Notice with me in verse 30. Well, let's go to verse 31. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, saying, Fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. And so it was when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. They didn't have a beef with Jehoshaphat. They, they were after Ahab. Now it happened, verse 33, that when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back, verse 34. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went through, throughout the army saying, every man to his city and every man to his own country. And so the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria, verse 38. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed according to the word of the Lord which had been spoken. And the rest of the acts of Ahab all that he did, the ivory house which he built, all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned 
in his place. It's difficult to watch the word of the Lord come out, come to play in real life, to see this literally happen. This isn't just the true story of a king of distant past. It's often the true story of many living in the 21st century. The wages of sin is death and watching it play out. The wages of sin coming to a person that what you've sown is what you're reaping. Evil abounds in our world among believers and unbelievers alike. There's a good chance in a room filled with this many people that there's deceit in this room right now. That there is without repentance going to be a tragic ending in your life. There's going to be a tragic ending where, you know, the Bible says that this is a random, you know, from a, from a human perspective, this is a random shot of the bow. But from God's perspective, that bow hit exactly where God intended. We have the perspective of this randomness, and yet God is able to work things together, both for his good, let alone our good, of those that follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And that's what happens with Jehoshaphat. God is sovereign, and you and I aren't going to be able to outmaneuver or manipulate God. We're not going to be able, with all of our scheming and all of our plans, we can't outsmart him. We're not going to be able to outmaneuver, outmanipulate God. The plan and the trick with Ahab didn't work, and Ahab loses his life. And in Samaria, the word of the Lord came to pass that the dogs would lick up his blood. And Ahab will always remind us of the wicked king, a wicked king that to his death rebelled all the way to the end. And now his son will reign in his place. Verse 41, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shealhai. And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. And Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Now, you can jot it down. We're going to get more into the life of Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles. Um, but he was a good king, and he's known as a good king. And we'll learn more about him when we get into Second Chronicles, verse 45. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed, how he made war, are, not, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And the rest of the perverted persons who remain in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land. Verse 47. There was then no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. And Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold. They never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Azion Gaber. And then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. And he rested with his fathers, was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. And then verse 51, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father, and in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jehoram, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. Can I just pause there, parents? Verse 52. Uh, unless God intervenes, generally, most likely, your kids are going to walk in your ways. Your kids are going to walk and follow your ways. 
Now, I know that that goes out to those that may have a few prodigal kids right now. They, they may be, and you go, wait a minute, Ed, I've got a couple kids that are not walking with the Lord right now. They're not, they're, and, and I am walking with the Lord. And there's always exceptions to a general rule. But understand this. If your kids see you compromise, you're training your kids to compromise. If your kids see you slide, you know, sliding off a little bit, your kids are going to slide off a little bit. If, if you don't give a priority to prayer in your house, then your kids aren't going to give a priority to prayer. If you don't give your, a priority to de- a devotional life, then your kids, if your kids watch you literally slay people with your mouth, then they're going to learn how to slay people with their mouth. Generally, that statement is going to be true for us. That our kids are going to walk in the ways of their father or their mother. And how careful we need to be. In my devos, I want to turn back real quick here to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I remember when the Lord gave me this verse as a new believer. It was so vital. And I have to say, even as a pastor, I've gone up and down on this in our home. And God has been really gracious because uh, there have been times when our Devo life with the kids and, and our, our family altar and times were just really strong. And then there were times when, they wasn't, when it wasn't. There were times when our, even when the kids are getting older, when our kids where we would pray together and there are times when there aren't. And I'm so grateful for the graciousness of God. But, but I also don't want to just lean on the grace of God. I, I want my home and I want my life to be demonstrating to my kids, no matter how old they are, and my grandkids, that, that this family follows the Lord. And when God tells us to do something, we do it. And, and that our lives will be one to live for God no matter what's happening in the church, no matter what people are saying. Now these days, what, be, what, what people are posting on Facebook, you know, your kids, if they're on Facebook, they're seeing people who go to your church, they're seeing your friends and all the stuff that's, po- like, don't think that for a moment, like, our kids don't see that stuff. They see it. Don't think for a moment they don't hear what's on television or what movies. Are, like, all of that stuff is being handed over to your kids. And you think that there's not going to be a reaping coming? Do you think that there's, are we making it easier for our kids to backslide or harder? You know, is there any stand for righteousness? Any stand for righteousness? Even a lot of the church today is abandoning holiness. Like there's not an emphasis on the holiness of God. Now, just me mentioning that, I'm sure I'll get an email. Oh, oh, pastor, you're being legalistic about the holiness of God. Fine. I'm being legalistic about it. Be holy. Try to see how holy you can be living for God. Try it. Try to eliminate things in your life that would stumble you. Try to put a filter on your computer. Try to turn off a show. Try to avoid a popular movie. Well, Ed, you know, it only has 10 F-bombs and a couple naked scenes. I can handle that. Yeah, maybe you can. Maybe that's the world you live in. You're a mechanic. You live in a world and that's stuff that's happening. There's stuff on the wall. Maybe you can. What about your kids? Well, I would never take my kids to that. Exactly. So why are you going? Oh, I can handle it. Okay, then try to be holy for your kids. Just try it. Try, try to yield. How, how does holiness mean? It doesn't mean I give you a list of things to do or not do. Although there are some cultural things that are pretty easy. But I'm not, I don't want to list out. I don't want to give you a list of things to do and not do. This is where holiness comes from. An abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not even asking you know, in the day we used to say, I guess you could if you wanted to. I mean, you could do whatever you want to do. But, you know, we used to go, well, would I take Jesus with me into the movies? You are anyway, so you don't even need to ask that question. Where you are, the Spirit of God is. Believer. And as you abide in Him, 
the Holy Spirit will actually speak to you inside and say, yes, let's go there, or no, let's not go there. Yes, let's do that. No, let's not do that. And as you yield to the Holy Spirit, your life becomes a holy representation, right? You are indwelt by who? The wicked spirit? No. You're indwelt by who? The Holy Spirit. (laughs) You know, it's one of those things where we say so many times that we're not even recognizing the reality. It's the Holy Spirit in us. He wants us to live a life that's dedicated to him. And and it is going to be, you are going to be weird compared to the world. You are going to look different. It is going to feel hard. You may not be able to connect with people when somebody will come up to me and say, hey, Ed, did you see the movie? And I said, no, I don't know. I don't know. Either I read a review on it and I don't want to go because they, they, they revealed all kinds of junk in it. I don't need that. Or, or I'm just not into that kind of stuff. I don't want to be, I don't want it. I don't want that stuff in my head. I, I spend enough of my life apart from Christ filling my head with that stuff that sometimes the memories come back even to this day. It's been 20 something years, 26 years since I was into that stuff. And the enemy still using it in my head. So here's something the Lord gave me, parents, Deuteronomy 6. And I just started Deuteronomy recently in my devos. And pick up with me in verse 4. It's the Shema. It is a prayer that is said by Israelis every day. And, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Our, the Lord our God, the Lord, is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So here's what he says. He mentions they shall be in your heart, verse 6. Teach them, verse 7. Talk of them, verse 7. Bind them, verse 8. And then write them, verse 9. In the life of the children of Israel as they're moving into the promised land and their new life away from Egypt, away from bondage, away from the slavery, which Egypt becomes a type of sin, becomes a type of the world. In this new life of freedom, the word of God must be the highest priority. The things that are being commanded to them, they need to be in their heart. They, they need to do them. They, they need to talk about them with their kids. It needs to be a part of our lives. When we're, when we're looking at and ministering to married couples, uh, whether they're you know, maybe in premarital or even at the highest crisis, let's say at the highest crisis when we sit down with a married couple, one of the questions that we ask them is, do you talk about what you learn in church together on your way home or Do you talk about what you learn in church? Do you talk out loud about what you each are receiving from the Bible study? That's something as a married couple you can start right away. That as you come to Bible study, you're listening to the same, or maybe your husband wasn't able to come or your wife wasn't able to come, and you can write down your notes and just say, hey, you know, the Lord gave me this. It doesn't have to be like, Ed said that. Don't worry about what Ed said. So what the Lord, what's the Lord? What, What verse came out? What part of Jehoshaphat really spoke to you in contrast to Ahab? What is it about sowing and reaping that spoke to your heart? What is it about, hey, look, Ahab finally met disaster. And all along the way, haven't we learned with Ahab? As rotten as he was, God was gracious. God was gracious, God was gracious, all the way to the very end, all the way to the end. 
and you begin just one thing or two things, and then you have kids. Like even if you're picking up your kids from Sunday school, find, hey, what did you guys learn? Going through the papers with them, uh, praying with them on, I mean, you can, you can talk to them about Jehoshaphat. You can make it a big joke with the kids, especially the younger ones, to see if they can pronounce that name and give them a reward. Here's a word. I want you to learn how to pronounce, pronounce Jehoshaphat. And by the end of the week, on Friday, if you can pronounce Jehoshaphat, because I can't even say it right, I'm going to give you a dollar. And you go, come on, Ed, are you gonna, are you, I'm going to bribe my kids to talk about the Bible? Yes, it's okay. It's okay to bribe your kids. There was a teacher that my son had at Calvary Chapel in Downey. Eddie had his teacher in school uh, when he was at the school there, and he also had him um, in Sunday school. His name was Bear, and that's what he was. He was just a big, big bear. And I found out as a newer believer that Bear was bribing my son to memorize the scriptures. And I had a big problem with it. So I went to Bear, and I had a little discussion with Bear. But Bear is a big guy, so I was kind and nice, and we, and we were friends. And I said, I just don't understand I don't, I don't want you to bribe my son. It doesn't, doesn't feel right. You know, it doesn't. And he says, Ed, listen. What is it, a dollar, 50 cents? And I said, yeah, whatever it is you gave him. And, and, he's, and is he happy? Yeah, he's happy. And did he memorize the scripture? And I said, yeah, he's memorizing scripture like crazy. He wants his pockets to be filled with quarters. And Bear looked at me and he said, there's nothing wrong with rewarding kids for doing the right thing. It changed my whole perspective. And if that means, you know, if that means I can uh, give a dollar to a kid so they can memorize a scripture, or it means I could give a lollipop to help make them happy and have a thought that, man, a pastor gave me a lollipop today, or it was fun at church. Man, anything that we can do to plant seeds into kids' hearts, we need to be doing so that we can get them at a young age to love the Lord God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And the primary responsibility for that is mom and dad. And it's never too late. Never too late. You look back and go, well, Ed, you know, my son is 30 years old now. Well, bribe the guy. <laughs> Tell him you'll take him out to lunch if he comes to church. Or like, do what you need to do to sow the seeds of love into your kids, your grandkids, and see what God might do. Um, coming back to First Chron- uh, Kings 22, you know, Ahaziah, he reigns. He does evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 52, because he walked in the way of his father. And verse 53 says he served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. And as we opened up 1 Kings, it it began with a man after God's own heart and a united kingdom, remember, as we were learning about Solomon and what God was doing in Solomon's life. And how does the book end with really two godless kings on two thrones in a divided nation. And, you know, Jehoshaphat, he rests with his father. Jehoram, he's, he's not walking in the ways of the Lord. Ahaziah doesn't walk with the ways of the Lord. And, you know, it could be the same testimony for us. God wants us to be in the long haul, man, all the way to the end. And may the Lord strengthen us in that way. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace, and the final message in our series in 1 Kings is called Man Can't Outsmart God. You can hear it again online at calvaryaurora.org. We'd like to suggest adding a couple of apps to your mobile devices. They are the Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps. This would be a great way to study the Word in the new year. 
Do a search for Calvary Aurora and both apps will come up. See if this sounds familiar. You make a New Year's resolution to break a bad habit once and for all. And maybe you experience some short-term success, but then that undesirable behavior rears its ugly head again. Is it really possible to break the cycle of addictive behavior? And if so, how? Erwin Lutzer points the way in his insightful book, Getting to Know. That's N-O. You'll discover it is possible to break a stubborn habit with God's help. Get a copy of this helpful book as we begin 2019 when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. As you do, you'll be helping us continue delivering God's Word on this station in the year ahead. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryaurora.org. You can also write to Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Well, now that we're done with 1 Kings, we'll move into 2 Kings. That all starts tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We hope you can join us. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.